Good evening. I hope you had a great Easter. Now, I was last with you on Thursday, the day that the government's new plan to stop the cross-channel trade were announced. It came in three parts, remember. Number one, the Royal Navy to take over ops in the channel. Number two, a new facility up in North Yorkshire that would house many of those that cross the channel. But, of course, the big one was that young single men would be sent to Rwanda and would not be allowed to come back. Now, I had on that day the Minister for Illegal Immigration on the show, Tom Persglove, and I expressed my concern that the five Royal Naval vessels that are patrolling the channel can't do the job because the gunnels, the sides of the boats, are simply too high to lift anybody out of a dinghy. And that given the specific job of those vessels is to stop the beach landings happening all over Kent and sometimes even East Sussex too, I couldn't see how they would do the job. So I talked about it on the show, I tweeted about it, and blow me down if on Saturday James Heapy, who of course is the Armed Forces Minister and MP for Wales, he actually responded to me. I was really very, very surprised. Uh, he tweeted back and admitted that actually, yes, there is a problem with these vessels. Uh, the fact that I'd raised this, I was right. He says, we've been clear on the limitations of Royal Navy patrol vessels all along, hence why we're leasing more appropriate platforms. Here's a link to an urgent question in Parliament in January. It's all in there. Well, that was an admission, I thought, uh, that these vessels just are not going to do the job. And I did respond on Twitter to him by saying, if the naval vessels can't do the job, it doesn't say much for the PM's big speech. I wonder what else in the plan is not up to scratch. So, there we are. Um, I wonder, uh, were all these announcements rushed out? Uh, was the timing because of Partygate? And perhaps, dare I think it, the fact the local elections are coming up on May the 5th. But, whatever criticisms I've made of those naval vessels, whatever my concerns, about the fact that the Human Rights Act may well be invoked to stop people being sent to Rwanda. All of the things that I'm saying are being said because I want this to work. I want the government to succeed, and I do applaud Priti Patel for negotiating this deal. Now, there's somebody else in this country, a very senior religious figure, who intervened in the debate over the weekend, who I don't think actually wish the plan well. Now, his name, of course, is Archbishop Justin Welby. He became the Archbishop in 2013. He took over from the Marxist Rowan Williams, and I thought, well, he must be better. And when the Brexit referendum came along, I assumed that the Archbishop of Canterbury would stay above the fray. But, oh, no, this is what Welby had to say about me during the referendum campaign. Uh, I would agree with you. I think that is an inexcusable pandering to people's worries and prejudices. That's giving legitimization to racism, which I've seen in parishes in which I've served and has led to attacks on people in those parishes. And we cannot legitimize that. As I said, fear is a pastoral issue. You deal with it by recognizing it, by standing alongside and providing answers to it. So what that is, is accentuating fear for political gain, and that is absolutely inexcusable. So you would utterly condemn the comments made by Nigel Farage? 
without hesitation. Without, without hesitation. So there was Project Fear accusing me of Project Fear. Remember at the time these people were saying we'd lose our jobs, lose our houses and catch very serious diseases. I wondered, would he intervene? Surely the Archbishop would not use the Easter Sunday sermon in Canterbury Cathedral, but sure enough he did. He said that sending people to Rwanda raised serious ethical questions. He also said we were subcontracting our responsibilities. It was the opposite of the nature of God. We are ungodly. The government is ungodly. He didn't mention anything about the criminal traffickers. He didn't mention anything about the drownings in the Channel. He didn't mention anything about those that come into this country and finish up effectively working in slave labour conditions. No, he's not interested in any of that. It's all about the big virtue signal. I'm asking you the question, was Welby right to do what he did? Farage at GBNews.UK. I think he was completely and utterly wrong, but true to form as a left-wing archbishop who has done more to damage the reputation of the Church of England, to decrease the numbers turning up every Sunday than almost anybody that's ever lived. Well, there's my opinion, and it's pretty clear. Let's get a different view, perhaps, from Steve Valdez-Simmons, Refugee and Asylum Rights Director at Amnesty International. Steve, good evening, and welcome to the programme. Thank you. Good evening. Uh, quick question. Um, from a religious perspective, and given the, the role of the Church of England as the established church of this country, was the Archbishop playing in politics that he shouldn't be involved in, or do you think he was right to get involved in this debate? Um, I, I welcome him getting involved. I, I obviously am not in a position to comment on the question of the government being ungodly, though those are matters beyond my expertise. <laughs> but in terms of the, the ethics of this and its impact and the irresponsibility of this, I completely agree with what he has said. OK, I mean, the, the points that he missed, Steve, and I think they're quite important points, the fact that this is a trade organised by serious criminals, uh, gun-carrying in many cases now criminals, capable, in fact, of even murdering each other. And there have been some recent specimens of that. He didn't mention that. He didn't mention the drownings in the Channel and the fact that if we stop people coming via this route, the drownings will stop. He didn't mention what happens, and you know as well as I do, that a lot of these people who come into this country finish up effectively in slave labour-type conditions here. He didn't mention any of those things. Wouldn't it have been better to give it at least some sense of balance in terms of what he said? Well, I think what he had to say was completely pertinent to what is um, happening now and what the government proposes. I I'm happy to address those things that you've mentioned. They're all extremely important. They are. The problem is, the problem is this. The government's policy doesn't address those matters. You can't stop and, and penalise and punish and track down those who perpetrate people smuggling and human trafficking in all its most vileness by simply punishing and penalising its victims after they've already been so abused and exploited. Well, the argument, Steve, the argument day. goes, the argument goes that on average, the traffickers are paid in sterling, about 2,500 for each trip, in some cases more. The argument goes 
that if these young men, and I emphasise young men because it is 90% male, as you and I both know, that come over the channel, if they think that spending that money may lead to them going to Rwanda, they'll stop spending the money. I mean, isn't that the point? The government is doing this as a disincentive. Well, first of all, the government has made an assessment, an impact assessment, of this policy and others that it's pursuing at the moment. And that impact assessment has told it that there is no or little evidence to suggest it has any prospect of working, which is why it has been reported, and I'm sure some of your viewers have seen, the permanent secretary at the Home Office had to require the Home Secretary to instruct him to nonetheless go ahead with this mm -hmm. because he couldn't sign it off on the f financial costs, um, merits of this, because the evidence doesn't suggest it can work. And the reason the evidence doesn't suggest it can work is quite simply this. People on these journeys are on the whole not in a position to assess what's going to happen to them at the end. If they are being trafficked... Oh, no, they are. Oh, no, they are. Steve, they are. Otherwise, they stay in France. They come here because they see four-star hotels. Uh, they see a... They, you know, they think we're Treasure Island, Steve. That's why they all want to come here. It's obvious, isn't it? I think that's absolutely nonsense, I'm afraid. If that were the case, why is it that France continues to receive so many more people into its asylum system than do we? Because they're, because they're on the Mediterranean. The, the because they're on the Mediterranean. Steve, France isn't choosing. France isn't choosing to have large numbers of people come in, but they're coming in across the Med. Final thought, final thought, Steve. Do you believe these proposals are... And you can say they're undesirable, and I understand you've said that. Do you believe these proposals are workable? Do you believe the flights to Rwanda will begin within the next month or so? I, I don't know whether they'll begin within the next month or so. They may do. Do, do I think they're workable? No. And just one thought, then, in relation yeah. to that. Journalists have been shown, and have been shown now on, in our media over here, a few dozen beds that Rwanda has made available for this policy. Now, this country doesn't receive a large number of people seeking asylum, certainly not compared to its nearest neighbours in Europe, but it certainly receives more than a few dozen people. So how mm. on earth we expect this policy to work even if its own terms, I honestly do not know. As for the cruelty that will possibly be done to people, and the effect of our washing our hands of our responsibilities or trying to do it, do that on whether other people will take their responsibilities, I dread to think. Well, we're going to find out over the course of the next few weeks, and I've no doubt, Steve, you'll be back to comment on all of these things, and I thank you, as ever, for joining me. Let's get back to the church view of all of this. I'm very pleased to say I'm joined by Dr Gavin Ashenden, former honorary chaplain to the Queen. Gavin, he can't leave it alone, can he? The Bish has to get involved in politics at all times. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid I think it's part of his religion, but, uh, so I don't blame <laughs> him for that. But, but, but what, I, what I blame him for is that the religion isn't Christianity. So it's really quite problematic having an Archbishop of Canterbury um, speak out on behalf of a series of values which are, are some way short of what real Christianity is. It's, it's absolutely true that Christianity at the heart of it has a generous, an intelligent, 
compassion to the neighbor. But I think what I find difficult about the Archbishop is that we're faced with an immensely complex problem, which has to do with world migration and an enormous change in culture and political values. I remember in the 1970s seeing a panorama program that warned that it, within a generation, there would be an enormous, unstoppable mass migration from the equator northwards, and that, that nobody had any idea what to do with it when it happened. Well, it's happening now. Um, so it would be much more honest to say we don't know what to do, and we're going to have to try and find some ways of dealing with this, because as you say, the casualty rate is immensely high. It's not just high for people who, who tragically die in the channel. It, it's high for that, that wonderful Islamic woman who became a Christian and was knifed at Speaker's Corner. We were faced with incompatible cultures. And it's, it's not intelligent or kind to salve our consciences just by being nice. And I think that, that's the ethical issue. Um, there is a kind of Christianity which says, I must be seen, to, I must be seen, I want to be, I genuinely want to be nice. Um, but it's the kind of niceness that, that, a, that a nurse would offer you if you go in with, with profound stomach pain and she says, well, we'll, we'll put some germline on it, when actually what you really need is a cancer surgeon to cut it out. But if you're too nice, you won't <laughs> but take he... the steps that deal with the problem. I mean, we'd had Rowan Williams before, a self-avowed Marxist. I thought, well, you know, when he came in in 2013, I thought, well, this chap, you know, he did at least work in the private sector in the oil business. He must be better. But he seems to push and champion every single progressive left-wing cause, doesn't he? He does, and I, I, I must say I don't understand uh, why... Um, there's a certain kind of frame of, of, of mind um, that, that, has, that, that um, produces a sort of woke, nice spirituality um, and, and won't accept a range of facts which ought to modify its analysis of the situation. And I think one of the frustrations that I have is that when I try and have conversations based on the facts and a, and a, a wider, more, I think, grown-up analysis, I'm called a racist or a bigot uh, or, or, or other unpleasant things. So we, we shouldn't really... We should try and avoid calling each other names, and I'm trying to do that tonight, but it's very difficult. But I think we have to say we've got two different religions at work here, and, and what's being taught from Canterbury Cathedral is not Christianity as it's been understood for the last 2,000 years. No, well, he drives me mad every Christmas, every Easter. Uh, he really does. Um, how much longer do we have to put up with him? Oh, forever, I'm afraid. The forever. Church of England has adopted... Well, the Church of England has adopted this uh, sub-Christian religion of woke niceness, and it's driven out anybody who won't accept it. It's not very nice to people who don't agree with it. So, so I'm afraid um, people who take a traditional, historic, authentic view of Christianity have joined other churches, part because the doors have all been closed. And there's been no discussion, no argument. It, it's during my lifetime, the argument's been closed down with, as you, as you know only too well, threats of cancellation and, and, and insults if you don't accept this I know. facile I know. and superficial pleasing of conscience. Well, you know what it goes like. The narrative's the same every time. Gavin Ashenden, thank you as ever for your thoughts and thank you for joining me. And what a pity that the Archbishop didn't give us some leadership, particularly during that first lockdown when there were millions of frightened people in this country. He was nowhere to be seen. No, he was waiting for the next trendy cause to get behind. Now, if you want to get involved and join the debate, you can do it. Farage at large, I've been taking out round the country, and of course, Kent, so often in the centre of all of these stories. And I'm going to be in Medway. On the 28th of April, it's gbnews.uk 
forward slash Farage at large. Just go to the GB News website. And we did advertise this last week. We've got a few tickets left. I'll be in Medway on the 28th of April. Get onto the GB News website and book your tickets because they will be gone by the close of play today. Was the Archbishop right to condemn the government's Rwandan policy? Your views on this, one viewer says. Welby should mind his own business. There's enough poor people in the UK. No need to stress the economy more by bringing in more people without jobs or education. Grace says everybody has the right to freedom of speech. And if he speaks up about something, then he should suggest a solution which he feels would be better. No, 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 no. He's got no solution whatsoever. And actually, nor do the Labour Party. As I say, I think the government's plan is full of holes. I think it will sink, as it were, because of the Human Rights Act. But at least they're making an effort at last. Another says, the Archbishop of Canterbury was speaking from a truly Christian point of view. Hmm. Ollie, we are not too Christian to help criminal traffickers, in my view. Ollie says, yes, he was, and the Rwanda bill does nothing to tackle the root cause of immigration. And finally, James says, I don't think Jesus was against subcontracting if it helps the UK to significantly reduce illegal immigration and the huge drain on the UK's public services that this causes, then it's entirely moral. Well, talking of morality, it is, in some ways, quite extraordinary that a piece of opinion poll research that has come out um, over the weekend, and it's in-depth, it's, it's, it's a 2,000 poll. There was a snap poll last week after Boris Johnson got the fine, but this is more considered, and it finds that 72% of people think the Prime Minister is a liar, think he's dishonest. I mean, the whole thing is quite extraordinary. It really is. 75% was the snap poll last week. 72%, as I say, this more considered poll and a bigger sample over the course of the weekend. And it was interesting uh, that actually, you know, the cloud, where people were asked to put in what word they most closely associated with the Prime Minister. And there it is. You can see it on the screen. It is liar. Now, to be fair, 16% of this poll did say they trusted the Prime Minister, thought he was doing a great job, especially when it came to Ukraine. How much does this matter? What is the historical precedent for a Prime Minister being thought of in this way? Well, Chris Curtis, Head of Political Polling and Opinion Research, joins me. Chris, good evening. This is a truly, at least I think, it's a truly extraordinary situation, isn't it? Uh, yes, I think it is, Nigel. Good evening. Um, I mean, Boris Johnson, to be fair, has never sort of been the kind of politician that the public trusts. I mean, you know, whenever we've been been polling on him since ever been, yeah, since when he became leader, when he won that landslide general election victory back in 2019, there were certain characteristics that were associated with him. But trustworthiness was never one of them, never the kind of person you'd buy a used car off. The thing that's always appealed to the public about Boris Johnson is that he can get the job done, whether that's getting Brexit done back in 2019, getting the vaccine rollout done in 2021. I think the difficulty now, actually, when we look at the, the polling and the reason that he's starting to suffer in the polls, moving behind the Labour Party, is because people are no longer really convinced that he can get the job done either. <laughs> so you obviously have this sort of morality issue. Is he the kind of person that's moral and follow, follows the rules? And that's always been there and that's still bad. But increasingly, they don't trust him to get, get get things done and solve the big problems either. And I think that's particularly true, for example, of the cost of living crisis yeah. right now. People are seeing their energy bills go up and they 
don't think the government are doing enough to help them with that. Now, I get the point about trustworthy. I mean, Harold Wilson was always thought to be a little bit slippery, uh, not wholly trustworthy. Um, but I think, and OK, Tony Blair subsequently on Iraq, uh, people said he didn't tell the truth over weapons of mass destruction. But I think I'm right in saying, Chris, you actually have to go back to Lloyd George, and that's over 100 years, to find a prime minister that ultimately the public thought was a liar. It's a very strong word, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, well, we haven't necessarily had consistent polling across all of that period, so it's hard to say for sure. Um, but certainly I think it's true that Boris Johnson's... I mean, his approval ratings overall um, are, are, are very low down for a prime minister, particularly one who hasn't been prime minister for that long. But, you know, this the sort of morality questions, the trustworthy questions, he does even worse on those specifically, and certainly worse than, you're used to, than we're used to seeing for a politician. I think sort of... Um, to, to, to do the Lloyd George comparison for a minute, I think one of the interesting things about politics at the moment is that perhaps people have slightly lower expectations yes. of politicians than they used yes. to. Um, you know, I, I'm used to sitting through focus groups and hearing people say, yeah, yeah, he's a liar, of course he's a liar, but they all lie, don't they? Um, and I'm actually not convinced that's, that's necessarily true. I think that actually, um, you know, a lot of politicians... So what you mean is... For as, ..as much as Boris Johnson does. But it is true that, that the public do have a lot lower expectations and therefore they're probably not hitting him quite as hard as they would have done hit a politician, say, a few decades ago. No, I get it. So, so public expectation is so low about politicians that he can get away with it, basically. I mean, that's really what you're saying, isn't it? I think I, I wouldn't I wouldn't quite go that far. And I think what we're seeing in the polls is that this time round he's struggling to get away with it. But that's probably because it's harder to get away with it when you no longer seem to have the answers to the biggest questions facing yeah. the country. And I think for the first time, that's the perception that's yeah. creeping through about yeah. Boris Johnson. No, I, I absolutely get it on the cost of living crisis. Uh, you're right, people don't think he's going to fix it. Perhaps don't even think he understands it. One last quick thought, Chris. You know, I've, I've thought for a long time, I'm sure many have, that if there was an obvious successor uh, in the wings, uh, his position might be that much more difficult, especially as it looks like there are more fines to come. Uh, Rishi Sunak uh, no longer seems to occupy that position of the certain shoe-in. Uh, does your polling suggest there was anybody else out there that's got anything like Boris Johnson's ability uh, to be recognised and communicate with the broad public? Well, I should start by saying that that's a very hard question for polling to answer because actually, you know, it's very hard to work out how the public will react to these political candidates. Most people aren't paying as much attention to politics as we are, so they won't even be able to name who most members of the cabinet are. The yeah, ones they point. have heard of, um, you know, don't have particularly high levels of popularity. Rishi Sunak used to be the most popular politician in the country. What we're seeing in polls coming out today is that in a head-to-head -head battle between Boris, uh, between Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer, Rishi Sunak is even further behind Keir Starmer than Boris Johnson is. So at this moment in time, I think I agree with your analysis. And that's probably why Boris Johnson is looking pretty safe right now, is because for the first time, there isn't an obvious successor to him. I think that's absolutely right. Chris Curtis from Opinion Research, Opinion Research thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you. Now, we are less than a week away from the French presidential elections. The second round, as you know, it is Macron versus Le Pen. And whilst the opinion polls suggest that Macron is ahead, perhaps by an average of five and a half, six points over the course of the last week, uh, there is no doubt 
there is considerable fear in Brussels amongst the globalist community. Uh, and I did last week give you some examples of the level of negativity uh, that is being pushed onto the Le Pen campaign. But Macron has decided once again to re invent himself. Now, uh, this is a real what the Farage moment. Um, if you're uh, holding a cup of tea, put it down before you see the latest photograph. This is President Macron, photographed within the last 48 hours. I mean, look at it. I'm not sure whether that's a hairy chest or whether he's wearing a wig on his chest. I just don't know. It looks utterly bizarre. The last time I saw somebody displaying their chest hair like that was Russell Brand, before I went on against him on Question Time, and he had one of his stylists actually combing his chest hair before he went on, believe it or not. Uh, what is Macron trying to do? What does that image tell you? I just don't know. I find it utterly extraordinary, totally bizarre. Uh, and getting back to that point about fear, uh, interesting that the European Union are discussing further sanctions to Russian oil, not gas, but Russian oil exports. But it's been agreed by everybody that nothing will be announced. No, nothing will be announced until after the second round of the French presidential election, just in case it puts the price of oil up and helps Marine Le Pen's vote. We will watch with great interest. Tony Blair back in the news today. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. He was the man who set the completely arbitrary target that 50% of our youngsters should go to university. For some reason, the Conservative Party agreed with it all the way along, and we now have 53% of our youngsters that go on to secondary education. Blair is now calling for 70% of our young people to go on to higher education to help tackle Britain's productivity crisis. He suggests that by going up to 70%, there'll be a 5% increase in productivity. Well, Mr Blair, since you started this campaign, more than double the number of people go to further education, and our productivity is lower than it was when you started this campaign. Why does Blair want to do this? Well, I wonder. I mean, he knows, of course, that so many of our universities have effectively become madrasas of Marxism. Perhaps it's that he wants to have as many people as possible of our younger generation to be fully, truly indoctrinated into left-wing politics, identity politics and globalist politics. I can't think of any other good logical reason. And a final what the Farage, and I guess this isn't a surprise, but it's not very pretty. Um, and it is that a Syrian national, Ahmed al-Razawi, has been jailed for three years for carrying out sex attacks in Liverpool city centre. These attacks were carried out in the space of a few days, and he's somebody that arrived illegally in this country. People say, oh, Nigel, you're wrong to talk about this. It should be brushed under the carpet. Well, I'm pleased to say the Daily Mail had, the, had, had the, the courage to cover this story. Um, and yes, I am concerned about large numbers of undocumented young males coming into Britain. They haven't got passports. We can't check their records. I am concerned about it. I don't think that's alarmist. I don't think it's wrong. I think it makes sense. No doubt some will be outraged by that. And as I say, would rather we didn't even discuss it.
Back to Welby. Has he got it right? One viewer says, has Justin Welby got a better solution to the problems of illegal immigration and people trafficking? Thought not. Coram says, the church should stay out of political affairs. This isn't Tsarist Russia. James says, why is a church politicising an Easter message to begin with? Stephen says, if he has an alternative that stops the never-ending boats of economic migrants, then we're all ears. The truth is, he has no solutions whatsoever. Uh, and he, as I said earlier, follows every trendy cause. And to give that speech, and not to even suggest that what the government might be trying to do is to stop the drowning, to stop the criminal trade, to stop conditions of modern slavery. He didn't even mention them. The GB News Tavern is open on this bank holiday Monday, and I'm joined by Lizzie Cundy, TV personality, and the first football wag. Wow! <laughs> well, that makes me sound old. <laughs> no, it wasn't meant to be said in Cheers, that way. Nige. Good Cheers. to see you. Nice to see you. Yeah. Mm. Now, you were in a way, weren't you? You know? Mm. Suddenly, the wives and girlfriends of footballers mm. became this big thing, and it's gone on being yeah. a big thing. But now it seems the sort of legal fights going on between well, them. That's and... it, yeah. Uh, Wags at war, it is it... indeed. But um, when it first started, it was in um, Baden Baden, Germany, yeah. and uh, I was asked to go out and report for it for ITV. And let me tell you, I had never seen anything like it. It was like the Beatles had arrived. Everyone was screaming, paparazzi, going mad for these girls. And, you know, it was the press that called them wags. Yeah, yeah. All out, What's wags? You know, wives and girlfriends. And it, it just came a name. Some of them loved it, some of them loathed it. But um, and some made a living from it, like myself. Well, um, you, I mean, look, Lizzie, you know, <laughs> you've gone on to do just an extraordinary array of things. Mm. You know, you've done all sorts of TV, film, journalism, radio, telly. You're still writing, I think, for OK yes, and all yeah. these magazines. Uh, you've got your book out, yeah. you know, Tales from the Red Carpet. Indeed, Nige. You we... even get a mention, I think. But I mean, what was it with you? I mean, you know, clearly, clearly, you know, in the, the marriage went wrong and that happens yeah. in life. But was it you sort of suddenly saw all these cameras and thought, I can do this? Well, you know what? I, I actually went on to this morning show with Jason, and he had um, testicular cancer. Yeah. And which, uh, I, which I'd had years ago too. Why, why yeah, did yeah, you yeah, that, yeah, Nigel? Yeah, yeah. And I, I wanted to make a point that men were dreadful at going to the doctor, and Quite. you know, obviously, early detection is so important. Um, and I did a chat with them, and then afterwards they said, "Look, you're so comfy." on the sofa and easy to talk to. Would you do this other segment for us? And then it went on from there. And before I knew it, I was out with the World Cup for ITV. I had my own show called Wags World, where I'd go in <laughs> footballers' drawers and get the, you know, the wives to tell me all the secrets. That went on for eight years. And Richard Desmond asked me to do OKTV, OK which went on for another nine years in ITV at the movie. So really, it was a snowball effect. But my, sadly, marriage did split. Yeah. And I kind of had to reinvent myself. I had to work. I wasn't, um, you know, like some of these footballers' wages, which are sky high. Um, I had a family to look after, two boys. And all I thought, well, look, I'll, I'll be myself and um, know what I know, you know, and I love showbiz, love football. It's all a long way, isn't it, from mm. being raised by nuns at a Catholic school? <laughs> 
<laughs> I know, if they could see me now. But these nuns, it's true, are a very strict Catholic school. Yep. I mean, if you saw a man in the building, a builder, we were all like, wow, there's a man here. Um, but it was, it was quite tough. But my father was in advertising, Saatchi and Saatchi. Yeah. And did lots of big brands. And so I, I made friends with the nuns and we used to do sort of deals. So I could go to Top of the Pops and go to these events when I shouldn't really be going. And they let me off getting, you know, coming in late. Well, you've done, I mean, the stuff you've <laughs> What's the most fun thing you've done in this sort of celeb media world? What's the most fun? Well, I, I love the National Telly Awards. I love the Oscars. That was incredible. Good. And um, very luckily met some amazing people, been able to interview people I only ever dreamed of as a kid. Um, and it, it's, it's a, you know, it sounds glamorous. At times I'm waiting on the red carpet, posing like a teapot in the pouring rain mm. wind. But I have to say, Oscars was pretty cool. It was amazing. And I, I just think, you know, it's usually the real high-up named celebrities are the kindest. Those that are, you know, not so, aren't so nice. But people like Tom Cruise, hilarious, you know, will come and say, join us for dinner. Yeah. Um, you know, really wonderful. Uh, and I've been very blessed, very lucky. I mean, Celeb World is... Celeb World is... It's, it's, it, 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 it shows no sign of going backwards. I mean, celebs become, in, in some ways, if you look at the younger generation, I, I, I think I could be wrong, but I think social media has accelerated well, celeb yeah. stardom uh, to such a level. I mean... I think it's because it, they can be accessible. You used to be Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt, yep. front cover of a magazine. Yep. That doesn't sell anymore. Um, it, it's the, 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 the celebs we see on the TV, the wags, they sell newspapers, they sell magazines, because I think... You know, when you're little reading it or younger, you think, gosh, I've got a chance to be like that. When you see Hollywood signs, you think that's not obtainable. But how do these celebs stay sane? Because they can't go to... I mean, you know, I've had a bit of it, in a way, but, you know, you can't go to a restaurant, you can't go to a pub, and people have... I mean, you know, I've had it. I've been sitting on an aeroplane. People mm. walk up the aisle and go in front of you and take... I mean, yeah. I mean, it's very difficult to live any sort of normal life as a celeb, isn't it? Yeah, but I think in some way, what I think of it is that you are very blessed, in a blessed situation, and um, I get many benefits. My friend Bruno Tonioli... I mean, when we're out for dinner, you can't get a minute to talk to ourselves because people are coming over yeah, asking about... but that's about horrible, isn't it? And... But isn't that... I mean, I mean, it can be nice at times. Yeah, it can have its down parts. I've, I find sometimes the intrusion into private life and people writing things that aren't true can be tough but I think you've got to take the tough you know the bad stuff with the good and in a way people say well you've sold your soul you know you're you're on the Daily Mail online or you're mm. in but you, you know you do have feelings I'm you know I'm not a robot but I find if you have a sense of humor you can laugh it off and I, I always laugh because I remember yeah I mean you've had, some tough, to. you've had some tough times with the press haven't you yeah I have and uh, a, a, you know big uh, divorce I mean only my mum knew that we were splitting and before I knew it there was a journalist on my doorstep saying yeah. look we're printing it either way you tell me or we're gonna run it anyway so it, that was tough that was really tough when you've got two young kids and your private life I haven't been the best at choosing men, Nigel, <laughs> which doesn't do me any favours. But um, I, well, I had I have, I have read about it. I know. You know. We'll forget about that one. But um, yeah, it, it can be tough. That side of it, mm. and you and often think are people with you because they want to get in the paper or they're thinking they can get some sort of fame or lifestyle. That it's hard to trust. Has Leveson changed this a little bit? Has Leveson? Yeah. Leveson has. I mean, I, I think before what was happening with celebs you know, was that journalists would trespass on land, take a photograph, 
of people in a private situation around a swimming pool or whatever it was, and that was fair game to publish, and that isn't now. So is, yeah. is the balance a bit more reasonable? It is, it is, Nigel and Leveson, they can't just write willy-nilly anything which yeah. it used to be. Yeah. I mean, I remember picking up a certain newspaper thinking, where have they got this from? And it was totally made up, and other sources were getting paid huge amounts of money. And... Well, the worst thing is when they write bad stories, isn't they true? <laughs> well, we won't talk about those, I know. <laughs> oh, my poor mum, when she read some of the stories, it's like, yeah, it's true. But, um, yeah, Leveson has helped. Yeah. But, um, and the press, I think, get a hard time uh, at times. Um, you know, we have, say, Meghan Markle usually whinging and moaning about oh. the press, taking them to court. But we forget, when she first arrived on the scene, everyone welcomed her with open arms. The press was, um, you know, so good about her, more so than Kate. It was incredible when you look at the... Oh, the, it was a the real press... fairy tale start, it wasn't was, it? It was, indeed. Yeah, no, in every, and it, the longest honeymoon you've ever had. Oh. Now, you knew her going back a bit, didn't you? I knew her in, when she was in a show called Suits. Yeah. We're going back... Uh, I mean, I didn't know who she was at the time. And I was at a charity event, um, and I think you may know him, John Caldwell's. Yeah. And he said, look, can you sit next to this girl? Um, she's flown in from Canada. And I wanted to be with my mates. So I was like, no, I'm gonna, I want to sit with my friends and have a giggle. He was like, no, look after her. But actually, we got on really, really well. And, had a, and we did have a huge giggle, and she wanted to find an English boyfriend. So I said, look, I'll help you. So I was going through my phone. There was Ashley Cole, Chelsea footballer. Um, I was trying, but um, yeah, it was it was quite funny. But she did want to have an English. That boyfriend. was her plan all along. Yeah, and she liked she yeah. loved being here in in London. So she wanted to work here. She actually wanted to be in Made in Chelsea, the show. I remember saying she loved the show. Really. But she was she was a real good fun girl. And how she behaved since. Well, no, she ghosted me and Piers Morgan. Uh, she didn't... Uh, oh, when she got with Prince Harry and it all, you know, happened, mm. she she did cut off a lot of people, which I understand, cos I think celebrity is very different to, to royalty. Of course. But, of course. Um, no, I, you know, and I've been quite vocal on how I feel yeah. they've behaved. Yeah. Um, well, you're never... Back, backwards are coming forwards, Lizzie, but, you know, away from all of the celeb yes. and the stardusty stuff... There's actually quite a serious political, you know, sort of political side to you, isn't there? You, you, yeah. you, you're very into your politics. I love my politics. You much. really care. I know we've debated it before. You're passionate okay. about things. Um, but Boris Johnson, I think, I think you're feeling a bit disappointed, aren't you? I'm very disappointed in him, yeah. And um, I couldn't say goodbye to a very dear friend of mine that passed away through the pandemic. And then when I, you know, saw our Queen sitting on her own at her husband's funeral and there he is partying on... Um, it, it gets to me, and I, I can't forgive and forget it. And I know he'll hope it will go away and Sue Gray report, let's put it off mm. with everything else. But I, I really don't think, for me and many others, and thousands and thousands of families out there that can say goodbye to their loved ones, can forget it. And I'm sorry, if we haven't got a Prime Minister we can trust, that is... I mean, how can we go on? But it was interesting. I don't know whether you saw earlier on, I had a, you know, quite a well-known pollster on earlier, you know, 72% in one poll, 75 in another, think the Prime Minister is a liar. Now, you know, if we'd said that 20, 40 years ago, it would have been unthinkable mm. that anybody could be in that position mm. as PM. Mm. But interesting, what Chris Curtis said, 
He said, the trouble is, he said, actually, the public think they're all liars, so Boris Johnson is not as disadvantaged <laughs> by this. Uh, but you feel it, it, it is a matter of trust, in Well, it is a matter of trust, and if we, we can't trust our own Prime Minister, I mean, we're becoming the laughing stock of every... I don't believe anything now he says. And I know we're, we've, we, it's horrific what's happening in the Ukraine, and people are saying, mm. oh, there are far more important things. Actually, you know what? This is still important and it's not going to go away. And I think he's hoping we can brush it under the carpet. But no, we can't. Thoughts on, uh, thoughts on Pretty Patel's plan for Rwanda? Will it stop the cross-channel problem? I don't know, Nigel. I heard you earlier. Mm. But I, I, it's very sad. I, it's just a whole sad situation. But I, I just don't like... I just think if you're going to take that crossing, you know you want to get here for a better life. And, you, you know, and... But sending them back, will it deter them? Will it stop them? I think it might. Yeah, I think it might do that. Yeah, I, mean, I think this is my view. If they actually did send people to Rwanda, then why would you pay two and a half thousand no. quid to They're a criminal great. gang to get you across the channel? But will know? it stop the criminal gangs? They'll still continue, will it? I mean... Well, I, at the end of the day, it's all about those who are paying the traffickers. I mean, look, let's see where we go with it. It's very, very new. I mean, I'm giving her credit for at least trying something. Mm. Uh, you know, and it is an ongoing problem, and it is an issue. So what's going to happen post-Boris? Who is there post-Boris? Can you see the next leader? Nigel, what happened to you? Come well, on, I'm Nigel! Not, you know, but they won't have me in the Conservative Party, <laughs> know, so it can't be me. I'm too much the outsider, you know. Nigel, I think we've got to get some... I don't know, one of the backbenchers, Bernard Jenkins, I used to... Uh, I mean, I, I know you're <laughs> laughing, but... I no, I'm not laughing. We need someone that yeah. we can feel we can believe in again. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Boris, for me, has become a bit of a buffoon. Great showman. Look, oh. he's like Trump on a budget. Oh. He's your friend. <laughs> he is, isn't he? Great showman. Uh, do, you know, for the, the shows he's great at, but... Yeah, he's a cheerleader. He's a great cheerleader. Mm. I've always thought that, you know. Have I got news for you? He's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. not as our Prime Minister. No, we well, have to have someone who we can trust. I, I think a growing number of people think, Lizzie, that you're right on that. Now, look, you mentioned the Oscars earlier. Yeah. Um, I just have to ask you about this trans issue, which seems to dominate so much public conversation mm. these days, whether it's women's sport and it's Leah Thomas, the, swim, the swimmer, uh, whether it's the Oscars now not having best woman actor mm. and best female actress. I, are we losing our minds? I think it's gone one step too far and I think the woke brigade have come in and we can't... I think it's sad. I mean, look at Adele. She even said it when she won the award. You can't be celebrated as a female artist. She said it with passion, didn't she? And she said it with passion. And the music industry is a very male-orientated industry, as is the film business. And not to be celebrated as a woman, to strive and get through what you've got through, to be celebrated. And we are different. Let's be honest. It's, it's, it's genetics. We are different. And thank oh, the Lord we that, are. You can't say that. You're <laughs> no, but we are different in some ways. And I just think it's... A, I know we have to move on in times, but it's sad we can't be celebrated. I, I, I think it's quite sad. And, look, we've got the Soap Awards there. I've heard that have, have scraps. Having any, uh, you know, best actress, best actor, it's all gone. It's crackers. And I just feel that some of the actresses and actors will lose out because of that. Yeah. That's my view. No, there's no doubt. Lizzie Candy, thank you for joining me on Talking Pines. Lovely to see you tonight. Really? Cheers. Cheers.
OK, let's go to Barrage the Farage. And I'm keeping Lizzie here because she's got such a sharp political mind. John asks me, has bad press ever made you want to leave your job? Often, yes. Lizzie, has bad press ever made you want to leave your job? <laughs> no, all press is good press. Okay? <laughs> if you're not spoken about, then you've got to worry. Well, that, that's probably right. But, yeah, I do remember once or twice just thinking, how much more of this can I put up with, you know? Uh, Fraser asks, are we heading into a severe recession in the near future? Well, that's a big question. What I can tell you is we are definitely heading towards a period of stagflation. Stagflation is when you have very, very low or almost zero economic growth, but with a high rate of inflation. And I, I have to say I have been right about the inflation thing over the course of the last year. I've been stunned. I've been stunned by the Bank of England, stunned by the Prime Minister and others, uh, just not even wanting to acknowledge the fact that inflation was coming into our system. Are we headed for severe recession, was the question. No, I don't think so. But are we going into a slight downturn? Yes, I do. Roger asks, why don't we, or why don't we revoke the Human Rights Act now? Because it would upset people in Brussels and in Strasbourg, I am guessing. Robbie asks, are the woke still on the attack or are they retreating? Well, they're still attacking the woke brigade, I aren't they? I think they, they are. They're, they're winning at the minute. They're winning? They are winning and it's no joke. Is that, woke. Is that because of our cowardice? I think we're scared now. We're living in a society where we're scared to offend. And I always say, just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. No, no. I'm, I mean, hey, you know, open, free speech, provided it's not insightful. If it offends, well, so what? I mean, I, I've always taken that view too. Laura asks, if Marine Le Pen was to win in France, would she take France out of the EU? She would put France onto a huge collision course with the EU. Um, she's already said... She won't accept the supremacy of EU law um, over French law. Uh, she wants back control of France's borders. She's not advocating Frexit, uh, but it would be an absolute seismic shock to the whole EU system. And when you think about it, you've got Poland and Hungary already fighting big battles with Brussels. All I can say is thank goodness we're not still there. Brexit the right thing to have done? Well, I think it was, Nigel. We were there at the movie, remember? I know, I do. <laughs> the premiere. Brexit the movie.